is happening, everyone? Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. So much to talk about this week in the wake of UFC 285 and the return of John Jones to the Octagon. John Jones making his heavyweight debut. And John Jones now your heavyweight champion of the world. What a fight card it was. Outside of the, the John Jones fight, the fight card was tremendous, but certainly the goat of the sport and the return to the Octagon and the dominance that ensued is the headline this week. Will Brewer, how are you, my friend? I mean, after what we saw Saturday, I'm on cloud nine, man. I mean, just, you know, being a John Jones fan for so long, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs, not in terms of his in-ring stuff, but, you know, you have to deal with the PEDs and you have to deal with, you know, time out of the octagon and everything. But it was just really good to see him uh, throughout the fight. We'd be so happy. And then the performance was great. But the whole card itself was phenomenal uh, from top to bottom. I really, really enjoyed it. I think I texted you after that night man and i was like man this might be my new personal favorite fight card ever it, it had everything for me yeah. so it, it, it checked all my boxes it was a great fight card as as i told you earlier today the main event left me a little bit unsatisfied just in terms of being an mma fan i have no issue with with who won the fight or or how dominant it was i just wanted a little bit more in terms of what we were going to see john jones look like in different scenarios in the heavyweight division. We didn't get that from a selfish standpoint. That left me feeling very unsatisfied. But, uh, you know, that aside, what a completely dominant performance to the point that, like, if I have one takeaway of that fight card, it's that it was so easy for John Jones against the real gone. I, I thought that he had a massive advantage in the grappling department. I felt like if, if they could get to the point that they were grappling, like, that was going to be significantly in his favor. I just didn't anticipate that it was going to happen as easily as it did, as quickly as it did, and for the fight to just end, uh, you know, basically as soon as it started. Um, credit to John Jones for finding the path of least resistance, taking that path, and now wearing the strap of the heavyweight division. Yeah, it, it was crazy. We we knew that it was that there was a, a, a an advantage uh, on the ground, but I think that just the way that John approached it, just going in, getting right in his face, not giving him any room. I felt like he kind of forced Surreal into, into some nervous shots, um, nervous kicks. That first kick that Surreal threw went right into John's, uh, went below the belt. And then uh, I think that, that punch that he threw, I think he really, really overextended and kind of made it easy for John to uh, uh, get him down. And then once it was on the ground, uh, that weight that John put on, that 248 pounds that he uh, walked into the cage with, you know, the the gut that he had that everyone was kind of shaming him about, it definitely paid, paid dividends because he made Shrill carry his weight. And Shrill really didn't have any resistance. He really wasn't able to move. It just seemed like he did not know what to do. And John just had his way with him. Um, you have this big man on you. You're sitting, you're basically sitting on the, on the cage. And yeah, it, it just was a terrible position for Shrill to be in. Uh, and then John just being so good with his chokes, wrapped up that submission, and it was over from there. So just great performance. Do you think Cyril Gunn was shocked at the pressure that John Jones was applying? Because it almost seemed like he was a little bit overwhelmed and, and unprepared for that kind of pressure out of the gate. I would have said that would have been the, the most realistic path for John to win this fight. But I think given all the uncertainty about maybe his gas tank at heavyweight and all these other aspects, like maybe he thought that... You know, like we've seen out of John the last few fights of his light heavyweight career, that maybe he is a slow starter, that he paces himself out of the gate. Maybe he picks his shot at, shots in the early rounds and chooses the later rounds to grapple. I mean, maybe that was what Gon thought he was going to get because he, he did not seem like he was prepared for John Jones to apply that kind of pressure. He definitely wasn't. Um, 
for surreal, most of the fights that he's in, it, they look pretty. Like when surreal's doing well, the fights look pretty. He's he's in he's in uh, range or he's out of range, uh, using his kicks, jumping around, you know, being light on his feet and all that. But John immediately got right in his face, and that's normally not how John fights. Uh, we, we we've seen it on a couple occasions. Like we've seen him against DC the second fight, kind of just get kind of rush yeah. him and get right in his face. But you know, it's not a, something we're accustomed to seeing. Like he didn't do that against Santos. He didn't do that against Reyes. Um, so if you if you go back uh, and look at some of his previous fights, this is not the way that John normally approaches the the beginning of the fight. It, he jumped right into into Surreal's face, and it looked like uh, John was trying to put some paws on him at first, and then uh, Surreal kicked him below the belt, and then after that, it just seemed like Surreal just never really got comfortable. Um, yeah, it, it seemed like it really caught him off guard that John was so aggressive. Yeah, it was it was again shockingly easy. To watch John Jones buzzsaw through Cyril Gaon, who I thought was uh, probably about as, as good a test as there could possibly be in the current UFC heavyweight division, which takes us to what the next matchup is going to be, Stipe Miocic. I, it's interesting because I think that Stipe is so well-rounded as a heavyweight in the UFC that the fight itself will be longer and and maybe show us more of what I wanted to see from John Jones as a heavyweight. But I also think there is significantly less danger for John Jones in a Stipe fight. And if you ask me, like, between the two, which fight I think would be the one that I would have more confidence in John Jones to win, for me, it's a hundred times over the Stipe fight. In, uh, in comparison to Surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, it, it's it's close to me uh, because you're right. Stipe is very well-rounded. Um, he's got power in his hands. Uh, the speed difference is heavily favors Surreal. Uh, but I think we would see John use more of his arsenal. He wouldn't be so wrestling heavy. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely see. I, I can see what you're saying for sure. Uh, the Stipe fight does have um, a lot of advantages for John. But at the same time, in terms of fight IQ, I think Stipe kind of um, his level of fight IQ is kind of it, it may not be the same as John's, but it's up there. Uh, this is a guy who's got championship experience, who's defended the title uh, many times, the most decorated heavyweight of all time. So, um, like I said, he's got power in his hands, just the speed difference. John, I think John will go into that fight probably, uh, lighter and he'll probably be faster. Uh, I'd be curious to see what Stipe would, would come into that fight as I wonder if he would get as big as he would want, or if he would try to just kind of lean out. Um, but yeah, that fight is very interesting for sure. John Jones is now the, the 18th different heavyweight to be the unanimous heavyweight champion in the UFC. He is now 15 and 0 in championship fights in his UFC career and you know when we start talking about legacy and putting that into context, those 15 fights, I mean think about the names, Shogun, Rampage, Machida, Rashad, Vidor, Chael, Gustafson twice, Glover, DC twice, Anthony Smith, Thiago Santos, Dominic Reyes and Surreal Gone. Holy cow. What a what a resume in just the championship fights will yeah, I mean, if that doesn't say goat, I mean, for for me, that like there's nothing else that will. I mean, th there's no one else who's got the the list of names. And ever since he became champion, it's literally been a, a murderer's row. Uh, and even having to defend the title, you know, as he's as he got older against a different generation, a different styles of fighter, fighter, and then to go up uh, against a guy like Surogan, who's like a new version of, of heavyweight like we always talk about w the evolution of the heavyweight division and surreal Gan is the guy that basically um is the catalyst of that and john jones just wiped the floor with him so 
yeah, if he he's the goat for me. Fifteen world title uh, world title wins, youngest champ ever, uh, and a champion in two different weight divisions. I mean, the the guy's got has done it all. I think it would be beyond fair to now put him at the number one pound for pound, which he got today. Um, anybody that may, might be disputing that, like I, I, I you know, I, I guess. I can see where where there's an argument because he hasn't fought in three years, but it's literally pound for pound. He just went to a a new weight division and won the title after that three year vacancy. So uh, I, I I don't I don't know to me that there is an overwhelming case for anybody now that John Jones has actually fought to be the number one pound for pound currently. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, John's the number one for me. I mean, for me, it was easy uh, to say that. With with John doing what he did to the literally the literally the number one contender the the former interim champion, uh, and then when you have such a dispute between Volk and Islam around the world, uh, it's easy to, for John to come in and be like, well, that dispute doesn't even matter anymore. Look what John right. Jones just did. So, yeah, he, he's very deserving of it for sure. The Stipe fight is obviously next from a legacy standpoint. That that's the only one that really makes sense. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily the toughest fight in the heavyweight division for John Jones, but uh, for all the reasons that we understand, the Stipe fight is next. It should be next. What are the toughest matchups in the heavyweight division for John Jones? Oh man, I mean, if you go down the the rankings, there's there's guys out there that offer a lot of uh, tough uh, stylistic matchups for him. Um, let's st- let's start with Curtis Blades. I mean, just the way the the size of Curtis Blades how much how dominant of a wrestler that he is how is john jones going to fight someone who who wrestles as well as uh, as curtis does but at the size of curtis uh w- would we see john jones get controlled for the first time ever i mean daniel cormier is a is an olympian wrestler but he just didn't have the the size to yeah. to really uh control john jones if he ever got him down uh curtis wade's could potentially do that um sergey pavlovich um there's still there's we, there's still more that we need to know about him but from what we do know, the guy is very powerful, and he gets the job done early. Uh, we don't know what John looks like taking a shot from a heavyweight. And we saw Sergey Pavlovich knock out Ty Tuivasa and Derek Lewis. How does John Jones fight a Sergey Pavlovich um, at heavyweight? And, uh, of course, you got Tom Aspinall. Um, you know, for as good as John Jones is with, with how well-rounded that he is, we've seen the same type of things from, from Tom Aspinall. I mean, sure, it's still early on in his career, but Tom Aspinall is so well-rounded so good everywhere that he could potentially present some issues for John Jones. Now he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the fight IQ. He doesn't have the experience, but the potential is definitely there. So those are just three names off the top of my head uh, that I think would give John Jones some trouble. I think the thing about John that, that to me just puts him on this, this tier that is so unique is no matter what the matchup is, I think you can talk yourself into where John has a massive advantage, right? Like Curtis blades, where we saw John completely dominate Cyril Gunn, Curtis Blades has the ability to neutralize that. So what does John Jones do? Well, then that's where John Jones probably goes back to using his speed and quickness and distance management and length. And you see that type of fight from John Jones, and that's probably how he would win a Curtis Blades fight. You get to Pavlovich, and you know it's probably a combination of, of that, the speed, and avoiding the power and the grappling, right? I think for me... Tom Aspinall is probably the toughest matchup currently because Aspinall is so well-rounded and athletically gifted and quick and and all those things. But that's where the fight IQ from John completely dwarfs Aspinall. Like, there's really, I mean, outside of a Francis matchup, uh, there's there's really, like, 
such a you can point to one area in almost every matchup you could give John and say this is where this thing completely swings in his direction. Absolutely, not. and that's like I said, that's just what makes him so great. Um, and then the fight IQ. I mean, just just the 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 strategy that that he comes up with in the, in the lead up to these fights. Like we saw with Surreal Gone, he basically just told him all of his deficiencies in his, in his game right in front of him at the press conference. Like nobody nobody ever does that. If someone in the media asks, like, uh, oh, so what do you see that he does that um, that you that you'll be able to exploit? Well, they'll be like, oh, well, me and my team, we've came up with a good game plan, all that, all this stuff. When John Jones was asked that, he basically just laid out every single thing that's real done, that's real God doesn't do well, uh, the advantage that they see, and and told him right there to his face, and that's just the confidence that John Jones showed. Um, but just with anybody that he fights, he's going to study the shit out of them. Like no matter who it is, uh, that's one. That's one thing about him. Whatever your best move is, whatever it is, you are not going to be able to land that against John Jones. Whatever, whatever the thing that you do at absolute best, you won't be able to do that. No matter if it's just John Jones staying safe or John Jones just completely uh, uh, taking that out of your arsenal through some way somehow throughout the fight. John Jones always knows what to do to neutralize you. So it, I mean, that just goes to show, man. No matter what it is, John Jones is always going to be that guy. He's always going to have a step up on his competition. I could see a scenario where John Jones calls it after Stipe, especially with Francis not being in the UFC, where he says, there's nothing else I can do to add to my legacy. There's no other name that even closely resembles that of Stipe or Cyril Gone for that matter, right? So I could see a scenario where the Stipe fight is it. I could also see a scenario where maybe he looks at this heavyweight division and says to himself, like, I can really solidify things here. Like, I could wipe out the top five in the next couple of years and just completely distance myself in this, in this whole goat conversation, the way that Brady has right to where nobody's even having the conversation anymore. This is, uh, this is kind of what I think. I think that there is a very good chance he calls it if he's able to beat Stipe, because if he, if he does just beat Stipe, um, he would have beaten the most decorated heavyweight of all time. And that would have basically, um, was the word like kind of solidified his heavyweight run like he doesn't need to yeah punctuate yeah like he doesn't need to do much like he doesn't really need to have a long heavyweight title run he's already done that in like heavyweight now this what he's doing now is just kind of icing on the cake right um i could see him calling the quits after stipe but he's mentioned wanting to have uh, uh 20 world title wins now if that becomes a serious motivation of his then yeah then we'll see him try to you know, fight against some of these other guys. I just don't know at the end of the day, like how much he's going to want to fight against the the younger up and coming guys, because we saw at the end of his light heavyweight run when the names weren't flashy with, you know, when it became Anthony Smith and Dominic Reyes and all these guys, John Jones didn't really become that interested. Like, is he going to be interested to fight Curtis Blades and Sergei Pavlovich after fighting Cyril Ghan and Stipe Miocic? So I'm not sure. It, It could go either way. Will John Jones ever fight Francis Ngannou? Well, if you ask Dana White, that answer is a uh, is hell no. Um, at this point, I think it, it's going to end up being what Dana wants. Uh, I think his pride has has been hurt by not being able to resign Francis, and uh, we we saw what he said after the fight that Francis um, basically comparing the Francis surreal fight to John surreal and using that MMA math like you said earlier, um, basically. Uh, you know, doing what he can to to white to uh, pour salt on Francis' name. So, uh, 
I think the amount of money that could be made off, off that fight, especially now, there's I'm not gonna say like it's never gonna happen, but I think the chances right now are probably like at a at twenty five percent. I I agree with that. I think it's very low. Uh, I don't think Dana. I mean, Dana's kind of at that level with Francis where I just don't think he's ever going to move past it. Just the way that he comments about him, the way that um, I think he went out of his way on Saturday in the press conference to to elevate John and do everything he can to throw dirt on the grave of Francis and Ganu, if you will. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't see that ever happening in the UFC. Is there a scenario, though, where those guys fight, whether it's like independently and they do it themselves or like under another promotion? Could that happen? Could I see that in the future for a gigantic payday? Is there a promotion like a Bellator or a One that would, for one fight, to get their name and their brand in front of millions and millions of people, pay those guys so over the top uh, an amount of money that neither one of them could say no to? I think that is definitely possible. Yeah, it would take that because I don't, I don't think John would do it outside of the UFC unless it's that type of money. Uh, that money where he just was like, oh, I, I can't say no to that. Like boxing money, um, right? Yeah, like like boxing money. Yeah. And I think that's what, what it would have took for John to fight Francis in the first place, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that type of money. Because we saw how hard it was for John and Francis to fight each other, but as soon as Francis was out of the picture, you know, John's thrills became really easy to make. So um, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that John is scared to fight Francis, but I do – John realizes the dangers of fighting yes. Francis. So he wanted to be paid uh, in a good way to do that. Now – yeah, I, I don't know how uh, likely it is that they would fight outside of the UFC, uh, but it would definitely take a, a, a ton of money to get John to do it. Like, I could see a Jake Paul, for example, or the Paul brothers uh, putting together something where, you know, they are, are going to start some sort of, like, fight promotion, and their first fight under their, their brand would be Francis and John Jones, and they just pay both of those guys a, a stupid amount of money. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I know, for, I know for a fact Francis would be on board. I know that the party in question would be John Jones because yeah. let's be real, Dana White would do everything in his power to not make that make that fight happen. But I think if they if they pay John Jones enough, it, it, it's something that could happen. Yeah, it would be very intriguing to me. Um, what do you feel differently about that fight now that we have seen John Jones at heavyweight? No, um, I, I still think that. John versus Francis uh, presents the most dangerous fight for John Jones uh, because that power that Francis has, uh, it, it's it's very, very scary. And uh, I think I, I guess I find a little bit more comfort with John's wrestling uh, and how he may be able to, to manage distance against a guy like Francis. But um, we still don't know how John takes a shot at heavyweight. And then even if he is able to take a shot at heavyweight, I'm not sure if he's able to take a Francis shot at heavyweight. So yeah, nobody can, uh, right? Right. So like uh, John's greatness when it comes to fighting Francis, it kind of doesn't it, it kind of doesn't matter if he gets touched by a, a clean right hand from Francis or a clean left hand. So, uh, yeah, I still think that represents yeah. the most dangerous fight for John uh, Francis. Kind of. I still think Francis is still my pick to win that fight if it were to happen today. Uh, for all the reasons I said at the very top of this, like what we saw from John Jones on Saturday night, like I, I, I don't feel like I have any more information about how that matchup would look with John at heavyweight than I did before that fight took place on Saturday night. So I think it would still be Francis, uh, but it, it would be, you know, obviously John winning a heavyweight fight in that kind of dominant fashion, I think just ups the stakes in terms of, of, you know, what the spectacle is that that fight could ultimately become. Uh, I will say this, like 
Dana White in the in the post fight press conference basically said like if John did did that to Gone and you know Gone and and Francis and Gone went the distance to decision then clearly he would do the same thing to Francis like that is it's such a stupid way to look at it and I I've heard Dana talk about people looking at fights that way being stupid uh, but he's he's obviously trying to to put Francis down because he's no longer with the UFC but like the, like immediately it's just like no John Jones is not going to pressure Francis. The same way that he pressured Cyril Gaon. John Jones clearly did not respect Cyril Gaon's power. John Jones 1,000% is going to respect the power from Francis Ngannou. It's it's a completely different approach to the fight. So I don't know how, how anybody could say it's the same. Yeah, it, it would be a complete uh, different approach. I mean, we haven't seen Cyril Gaon uh, with his hands have much knockout uh, capability. I mean, we saw it over time he was able to knock out Tai Tuivasa, but... Cyril's more of a guy who likes to touch you instead of right. try to kill you. Francis is a guy who's trying to go out there and take your head off. So, yeah, we would see a, we we might see a John Jones similar to how he fought uh, Tiago Santos. Like he was very very cautious to uh, engage with Tiago Santos because the power threat was was so substantial, um, especially at that time for Tiago. But yeah. with Francis, it's even at a more it's at, it's at an elevated level, and Francis can get to John in a way that nobody else has. Uh, Francis has long arms and he's got the power. So. John would be very strategic, uh, and he would do a lot of teep kicks, you know, chopping out the legs. And uh, I, I wonder how he would a- approach, you know, shooting for a takedown. Uh, he would probably try to use Francis's um, overzealousness against him. Uh, that would be a good way for John to get a to get a takedown. But you know, John would have to be very cautious in all of his movements. What do you do with Surreal Gone now? And I, I think. You know, for as much as we all credit John Jones for for the dominance in which he won that fight, this certainly doesn't help Surreal Gone losing in that way either, right? Like there are some fights, like I think people probably think more highly of Jeff Neal today than they did on Saturday going into that fight, and he lost. It's the complete opposite here. Surreal Gone did not did not gain any star power on Saturday night whatsoever. Yeah, um, it, at least. The fact that he fought John Jones and the eyes were on him, you know, maybe he'll he'll definitely gain more you know notoriety and all that stuff. But um, the performance definitely didn't help him whatsoever. Uh, going forward, man, if I were Cyril Gunn and like I like he's right there. I mean, regardless of how that fight with John ended and the fight with Francis, like he he's literally right there. Yeah. He does have a glaring hole in his game. Uh, that 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 definitely needs to be addressed. Whatever he did uh, with for this camp, and maybe he really did work uh, like very very hard on on his wrestling. But John Jones is at a different level. Uh, he's got to take some time. You know that a lot was made at the beginning of this fight of last fight week that he didn't really he doesn't really train in the off season. He only trains when he has a fight. He's gonna have to start getting better with his grappling, with his wrestling, with all that stuff in the off season because uh he can't make up the time uh in learning this wrestling game and the grappling game just in training camps it's just not it's just not enough yeah. especially when you're fighting at the level he's fighting he's obviously done a great job of avoiding it fighting all of the heavyweights that he's fought but if he wants to be a champion that's that's something that he's got to address i don't know who i don't know who you give him to fight that's a very interesting question because he's fought basically everyone um maybe you could give him a uh, blades and pavlovich winner because you know john and steepy are going to fight 
maybe you give maybe you give him Tom Aspinall whenever Aspinall returns. That's a guy he hasn't fought yet. So those are three guys he hasn't fought yet. So I think that's probably where he's at right now. I don't think you really have to put him like down in the rankings or anything because he's he, like I said, he's right there. So yeah. I think it's interesting. I think if Blades loses, you give him Blades, or you give him Spivak. Ooh. I, li- I like Spivak. Like, I think you have to give him somebody that is going to make him uncomfortable, that's going to pressure him, and that's going to try and get their hands on him, right? As opposed to just giving him another striker, because we know what he can do against strikers. We That's all we've seen him against throughout this this entire stretch. We've seen him against very stylistically beneficial matchups. We've not seen him against anybody that does something that he doesn't do well. This was the first time we've seen it, and he was finished, like, as soon as the fight started. So I, I think it's got to be, Bla- like, if Blades wins... Blades' is, next fight is a title fight, I think. So, um, I, I, I don't. Th- if Blades loses, I think that's the path. If Blades wins, then I think you just go Spivak immediately. Yeah, that that that's a good fight. I didn't think about that one about uh, Spivak. That's a that's a really good one. Uh, fresh matchup, uh, and and like you said, it, it forces surreal to address that uh, the elephant in the room, if you will. Right. Um. So I, I like that one. I, I like uh, I like Aspinall. I like Blades, Pavlovich. Those are still all fresh matchups, and all those guys, except for Pavlovich, uh, make him address that uh, that area of his game. So um, he's right there. Maybe he should take some time off uh, because I, he he has been pretty active uh, on his way up to the title. Francis, and then Ty, and then now John. He's had a lot of high profile matchups. Maybe he should take some time. Uh, try to actually go and work on his wrestling before he gets back in there. So um, we'll see how it goes, man. Uh, I, I'm still a big fan of Cyril Gaon in this game. I said at the top, maybe he has worked on it, and he was just completely surprised that John pressured him out of the gate as opposed to, you know, taking it slow. And, you know, it could have just been the surprise element. I don't know. But, uh, again, I, if there's any takeaway from that fight, it was just how easy that was for John Jones. All right, the co-main event was Alexa Grasso becoming the new flyweight champion with her fourth-round finish over Valentina Shevchenko. Valentina has been the champion in this weight class since the end of 2018. It's been a significant amount of time since anybody's name was at the top of this division other than Valentina. Valentina was a massive favorite in this fight. And to that point, not only were the odds massively in favor of Valentina, but for Alexa Grasso... To win by submission, Will, that was paying at plus 2,600. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, because Valentina's never been finished uh, in the UFC that I that I know of, right? So, like, um, the fact that Grasso was able to pull that off, uh, she she fought so well. Uh, and even though she was losing, she fought that first round really well. And then in that second round, I thought the fight was over when, when Valentina got in her patented uh, crucifix position. I was like, oh, it's over. Like that. That's kind of where I felt the fight was going was going to end when I when I thought about how this fight was going to go. Um, but Grasso just tough as ever. Just kept moving and found a way out of it. After that, I was like, oh, we've we've got something here. And then Grasso's speed on her on the feet with her hands. I think it made Valentina really really uncomfortable. And I've never seen Valentina uncomfortable on the feet. And I think it forced Valentina to have to to make mistakes and. To, to shoot from, you know, where, from far out. It kind of made her, her shots uh, to try to get the takedown and kind of made him predictable. Uh, still, with that, Valentina was able to win rounds. She was still able to take her down and all that. But um, this was a fight that Grasso was, was in every second. You knew that uh, this, was, this was a fight. Valentina knew that she was in a fight. Um, 
But yeah, in that fourth round, she, uh, Valentina made a mistake, she, and, and it cost her her title. That spinning, uh, that spinning back kick. Uh, I don't feel like it was something she had to throw. I kind of felt like it was kind of to get it was kind of to get Grasso off over to give yeah. Grasso a different look. But uh, Grasso uh, and she said that she worked on it in training. She used that against her and and just took her back. And then the the squeeze. I don't think I'll ever forget the visual of seeing Valentina's face red, completely beat red. And then just that chin, the that mark of her chin where uh, Grasso had the squeeze was just completely white. It was Ghost it was white, crazy. Yeah. yeah, the contrast where it looked like I, I think the broadcast said like a severe sunburn on the rest of her face, yeah. and then her chin is just like as pale white as it as it possibly gets. This was such an interesting fight because I, I thought stylistically this was very much in favor of Valentina because I felt like while Alexa Grasso is good in the stand up, Valentina just has more in the arsenal. And I thought Valentina would probably have the quickness advantage. And then you add the grappling and just the the well-rounded mixture of Valentina's attack. And I, I thought that this would be Valentina returning to a dominant fashion. Obviously, in the first round, we saw Grosso give her a lot of trouble. And, and really throughout the fight, it, it kind of became an interesting scenario where, well, when she got finished, I felt like she was one minute away from being up three rounds to one. Like she 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 was using her fight IQ as we talked about with John Jones in the last uh, conversation, she was just using her experience and fight IQ to win rounds, but you could clearly tell that she was she was very uncomfortable in there, and she was not taking Alexa Grasso for granted, I thought, for rounds two, three, and four, until the weird spinning kick where it was almost like this throwaway move that, ele- that opened the door for Grasso to have that opportunity, but um, it was a very weird dynamic where she's a minute away from being up three rounds to one, but you felt like she was just never comfortable in the fight, uh, just, you know, she was getting through it and, uh, it, it kind of got me to the point where I think you asked the question, like the Talia Santos fight was as close as it gets. People still argue about who won that fight. A lot of mixed reviews. Now Valentina has lost one fight later. Is Valentina starting to slip or has the rest of the division finally reached a point where, you know, Valentina has been for a long, long time. Yeah, I, I, I think that this uh, division is just starting to catch up to her. Uh, the, the names that you see in this division now, uh, and, and we said it at the, uh, the year-end show, um, talking about how the Aaron Blanchfields of the world were coming along, uh, Alexa Grasso, uh, Manon Furo, um, you still got Chukagan in there, you got uh, Casey O'Neill. Like just the names are just starting to really add up uh, in that division. Uh, Taya Santos, obviously. So... Um, I don't think that it was that Valentina's getting a step back. I think she's just been champion for so long. There's so much film out there on her um, that, you know, it, and then these girls are getting so good. Uh, you know, I never got the feeling that Valentina was not motivated or um, that she's lost a step. I think she's always been so locked in with her training, uh, with her mindset. I think Alexa Grasso beat the best Valentina Shevchenko. Um, maybe not the best that there's ever been, but, I don't, I don't see that she's uh, lost a step at all. So, um, yeah, man, I, I just think these girls have gotten so good uh, yeah. that uh, Valentina just, you know, got caught on, on that night. The biggest loser in this situation is Aaron Blanchfield because I think she's positioned herself to be next for that title. There's going to be a rematch, so whether she just has to wait it out or she takes another fight until then will be interesting to keep an eye on. But I think I texted you during the second round of the Valentina Grosso fight, the Aaron Blanchfield era is is about to begin. Like watching that fight between where Valentina is, the division catching her and and the success Grosso was having, 
Like, I'm very much at the point that I think Erin Blanchfield, when she does get her opportunity, is going to be the next champ. Man, I don't know. I mean, after seeing how, how Grasso performed with her stand-up, I mean, that, that's still an area that that uh, Grasso has a, an advantage over Blanchfield on. I mean, sure. of course, Blanchfield has the has the uh, advantage on the ground, but I don't know. I don't know if, if Blanchfield beats Grasso. I think that's a very good fight. If, if Valentina wanted to take some time off, I mean, sign me up for Alexa Grasso and Blanchfield for yeah, sure. Yeah, be a great fight. Yeah. Um, anyway, rematch for Valentina. Is this going to be the Amanda Nunes Juliana Pena situation again? I think it's very, very different. Very different. Um, because like I said, um, Valentina, it, it didn't look like Valentina was not motivated, that she was tired of being champion, that the the media and the glitz and the glamour got, got into her head. Um, Valentina's always been very locked in, very motivated, always in shape. Um, now, we don't know about if there was any injuries or anything, but Valentina's never been a person to make an excuse like that. Um Amanda, it just seemed like she just didn't train. She's talked about injuries going into the Juliana fight. Um, I I go into a rematch with Grasso and Chevchenko. Not saying that I'm going to pick Grasso or anything. I mean, I still would have to, you know, see. But I'm still not sure on what my pick would be in a Grasso and, and Chevchenko rematch. And it, it may be crazy to to think that. I do think Valentina would be favored, but I think Grasso could get her again. Yeah, I, I you know. Does Grasso win that fight without the mistake by Valentina? You know, so I, I, you know, Valentina, I think opened the door for Grasso, not taking anything away from Grasso because you got to capitalize when that opportunity presents itself. But I did feel like Valentina opened the door to allow that to happen. Uh, I think she would probably be much more sharp and and uh, just on every single movement that she makes in a in a rematch. Uh, she because again, she looked very uncomfortable in that fight. She knew the danger. That was there, and she started fighting what I thought was a very safe fight to win by decision, right? I mean, that's what we saw in rounds two, three, and four, literally until the point that she threw the the kick that that uh, gave Grosso that uh, that opportunity. All right, moving on in terms of this main card, um, you, you said this was one of your favorite fight cards ever, or the favorite fight card ever. Um, where do you want to go? Do you want to go uh, Jeff Neal and Shavkat Rachmanov? Do you want to go Bo Nichols' debut, or do you want to go with the uh, Gamrot-Jalen Turner fight? I think we go by level of importance. Uh, obviously, the the third biggest um, the third biggest name as, as far as what everyone was talking about was Bo Nichols. Bo so Nichol, let's, let's, yeah. let's touch on Bo Nichols. All right, Bo Nichols making his UFC debut, the most, I think, highly anticipated UFC prospect since Brock Lesnar. Uh, Bo Nichols starts the main card Saturday night. Um, ran through Jamie Pickett, a, a very experienced mixed martial artist. I joked last week, like my pick is he gets the finish in under two minutes. It, it took closer to three minutes, but he was right there, had it locked in. It just took longer to actually secure the finish. But Bo Nickel absolutely delivered on the hype train that has been, uh, you know, I think in the mainstream MMA circles for the last year plus. Yeah, um, he definitely... Uh, checked all the boxes in terms of what a in terms of what a debut should look like. Uh, it was never in doubt. Um, you said under two minutes, like I, like he was in a in a fight finishing position in under two minutes. Yeah, and he just had to f- find a way to uh, to lock in that squeeze, and and it took him a little bit, but uh, Bo Nickel was ready to finish that fight in less than two minutes. So 
the the hype is warranted. Uh, the potential you see it, uh, and that that wrestling is, is is so good, and he's only going to get better. He's only on, on he's only going to get better with his striking, with his jujitsu, with all that stuff. He's still very new. He's only four and zero now. I mean, there's just so much you can do with Bo Nickel now. Um, I wouldn't put a rocket ship on him and burst and burst him up into the uh, top ten or top five right now, but. Um, that's not to say that if Bo Nickel were to fight those guys that he would win or be favored. So um, I would tread lightly with him, but I do think there's very uh, much cause to be very excited about him. I just feel like with him, it's it's similar to Hamzat in that he is just going to impose his will on you. Like that's yeah. that's what gave me the confidence that he was going to get this win so quickly. He doesn't wait around for the opportunity to get a takedown and take the fight to where he wants it to be. He just makes it happen, right? He takes the fight where he wants it to be instead of waiting for the opportunity to do that. Uh, and Hamza's the same way, right? That's that's why I think both of those guys get the reaction they do to to the way they fight. Is it is literally like I'm coming forward, I'm going to take you down, I'm going to finish you, and there is nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and there, there's really not anything that people can do about it. You, I mean, you can train wrestling as much as you can, but the level of wrestling that Bo Nickel has, it's it's like the John Jones Surreal Gone type thing. Yeah. Of course, there's people out there who's got better wrestling than this Surreal Gone has, but there's not many people on the planet who's got better wrestling than Bo Nickel. So, like, you look at the at this middleweight division and you think to yourself, like, who is really going to stop a take that a Bo Nickel takedown if Bo, if Bo Nickel really wants to get this guy to the ground? I mean. You have to go to the top. I mean, like Robert Whitaker or, you know, someone like yeah. that. But just just to even say that it takes a Robert Whitaker on a guy who's only 4-0 in the sport, it's crazy to even think about. It takes a Robert Whitaker or someone that's just going to deliver a devastating blow when he's coming forward, right? And, and maybe that's ultimately uh, what slows him down. But, yeah, I mean, like I, I think that looking at the middleweight division, like there's a lot of these guys that I think I would pick Bo Nickel over today. Uh, th- right. th- the question is, because of his level of inexperience in mixed martial arts, you know, could he beat a lot of these guys? Yes. If he finds himself in compromising positions, though, you know, what does that look like? Does the lack of inexperience then start to show itself against more well-rounded, experienced guys? That's where the, the danger is. Not that he's not capable of beating these guys. I think you'd probably just feel better about getting him a little bit more experience. That said, Will, like, the talent gap between him and a lot of the guys that you're going to match him up with outside of the top 15, are you actually doing him any favor? Is he getting any experience with, with that level of fighter? Because he is such a buzzsaw and he runs right through these guys. I think the best thing that you do, um, if it, if you're not going to give him these top guys, if you're going to uh, tread him lightly, like you did Sean O'Malley, um, you, you just make it, uh, just like they did, you put you put him on the main card and you make it a big deal that Bo Nichols fighting. And it, at that point, it doesn't matter who he's fighting. The fact that Bo Nichols on the card, uh, it's obviously something special because he was on the main card of a John Jones fight. Of uh, that whole fight card felt massive, yeah. and he was the guy that opened the show. So uh, I think no, no matter who you put him up against, you just make it feel big. Um, you you might try to put him up against a guy who people know. Um, like um, what's the kid's name that just fought uh, Andre on Munoz? Saturday? No, um, he he fought and he just uh, the guy that asked uh, Miley Cyrus out on a date. Oh, Julian Marquez. Yeah, yeah, like a Julian Marquez. Like it's a it's a it's a name that people know, uh, but clearly a fight that Bo Nickel could win. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's something like that. But 
But like a guy I that said, has the power to be a threat to maybe impede him just going forward recklessly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a perfect matchup, but still, at the same time, you expect Bo Nickel to get a hold of him, take him down, and, and submit him. But it's it's an experienced guy um, who could who could uh, knock Bo Nickel out if he makes a mistake. So uh, a fight like that, I think, would be would be best for him. But like like we're saying about uh, his potential, like he can beat a lot of the top guys, uh, the ranked guys right now. So I mean, I don't know what you do with him. Looking at the middleweight rankings, I I would love an Andre Muniz matchup with Bo Nickel. I think that's uh you know Andre Muniz obviously has the the submission game. He's not a giant like knockout threat, but the striking is okay. Um, I think that would be a good test to just kind of get a, a feel for uh, Bo Nickel in several different areas. I'll say a fight I I absolutely love. Maybe it's biting off a little bit too much at this point, but a Jack Hermanson Bo Nickel matchup to me, I, I would love that match. Yeah, both those matchups are really good. Uh, I, I kind of feel like Muniz is very dangerous, maybe a little too dangerous. Um, Hermanson, I like that matchup, especially if, if, if you're going to give him any guy next, that would probably be the one that I pick, uh, Jack Hermanson. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would favor I would favor Bo Nickel in both those matchups, but I just think, especially in both of those matchups, he would need more experience because the the probability of him facing some adversity is kind of high with him being so inexperienced. I would also love a Sean Strickland, Bo Nickel matchup. Oh man. Because I think Sean Strickland <laughs> would, would test you in the lead up. Right. And just yes. the, the mental warfare, if you will, that, that, that goes into Sean Strickland. And then look, Sean Strickland on the feet is as good as there is. And he's also a guy that has incredibly good defense. So, you know, I don't think he would just, you know, he's going to he's going to push you on the feet as much as anybody can. And he's not going to be a guy that just simply allows you to get on him and, and take him down and put him away. But again, that's one of those where it's, you know, I think you're probably elevating him too much with a Sean Strickland at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's still a fun matchup, though. And yeah. just as we were talking, like, what about uh, Chris Curtis? Yeah, I like that. I mean that's I think he's at the at the bottom of the rankings. Like I think he's fifteen, but just that matchup, uh, it's a guy. Chris Curtis is a guy who who would rather stand. Who's got the power, but if Bo Nickel can get him down, Bo Nickel can control him for fifteen minutes. So that that would be a very fun matchup. Yeah, Chris Curtis, Kelvin Gastelum coming up in April. By the way, uh, another name I I I forgot about because he's not in the rankings anymore. But a guy that I think is a very tough guy to get past, Brad Tavares, uh, who has a he also has a fight coming up in April. I can't remember who he's fighting, but. Um, another name that's just, you know, a tough as nails type of guy. I think he's fighting Bruno Silva or yes, some, that's right. somebody that's right. with a, it is Bruno, with a Silva. Bruno. You're right. So, uh, but yeah, that would be, he's kind of the gatekeeper. Like Izzy had to fight him. Duplessis had to fight him. Uh, Bo Nickel at, at some point, I'm sure he would have to fight him. Uh, he's the guy with the, with the experience. Um, and he's, and he's solid everywhere. Yeah. So that would be a guy. That would be a very fun test for Bo Nickel for sure. Yeah, I like that matchup a lot. All right, let's talk about the fight of the night that was Shavkat Rachmanov and Jeff Neal. As far as the fight itself, world class fight. Loved every second of it. I thought Jeff Neal uh, represented himself very, very well after the 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 weight miss. Which I mean, five pounds. Come on, not even close. It was a weird situation because I thought at the press conference, Will, he looked bad. He looked very sucked in. Uh, I didn't think he looked healthy at all. And then the next day, it's like he misses by five pounds. It seemed like something was was not going right there. 
Um, you know, I've seen people also suggest that it was it was maybe worth it for him to miss weight and be heavier um, because of of Rachmanov's ground game, uh, and it would be more difficult to to take him down and control him if he were the heavier guy. Um, whatever the case is, I, I don't know how much I buy into conspiracy theories too often, but that was a hell of a fight. It was a ton of fun to watch. Rachmanov is an absolute beast and took massive shots from Jeff Neal, kept coming, and uh, really showed why there's been so much hype around him and showed why you, for one, said that you like Shavkat over Hamzat. Yeah, man. I mean, Hamzat is great, uh, but he's, he's just, he just talks. I feel like they're, they're very, very similar in, ter- in terms of their style. Um, both guys get finishes. Well, Hamza actually didn't get a finish over Gilbert Burns, but uh, Shavkat's got 17 finishes and seven and 17 fights. It, it's it's crazy. Um, Hamza just has that it factor that just draws people to him, and Shavkat uh, doesn't really have that uh, as of now. But I, I feel like after that performance, uh, people are going to uh, really start to know about Shavkat. It was a it was a great fight. I mean. Jeff Neal uh, fought very, very well. He stuffed a lot of, uh, I think, all of Shavkat's takedowns uh, and forced Shavkat to fight on the feet. And we we had to, we saw that uh, he can take a shot because Jeff Neal caught him with some major shots, rocked him, rocked him a few times. But we saw that um, Shavkat's arsenal, his bag on the feet, like he, we saw knees, we saw kicks, we saw uh, good punches. I mean, Shavkat's very well-rounded on the feet, um, and we know about his ground game. But then it's very fitting that he had a war like that, but was still able to get a finish with the submission. So, yeah, Shavkat is a beast, man. And uh, Laura Senko's uh, Man Crush Monday. <laughs> <laughs> he is, uh, he's, you know, we've called him for a long time the boogeyman of the welterweight division. Um, you know, I don't think anybody wants to take a fight with him. Somebody else that, that has seemingly had trouble getting fights is Bilal Muhammad. Uh, I know Bilal doesn't want to fight down. He only wants to fight up. But I love the Bilal Shavkat matchup, and look, I, the winner of that. There's no way you're denying uh, a, a, I think, title shot after that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, Bilal's what number two or number three, and then Shavkat probably took Jeff Neal's spot, so he's probably about six or seven. So um, Bilal's four, yeah, Shavkat is six. Yeah. Yeah, so it, that that fight makes a ton of sense. What are we doing with Kobe Covington, man? I mean, I, I heard Dana White say that uh, Kobe's ready to fight, which is the the best thing that I've heard about Kobe in in, in about a year because uh, he, he fought last March and we haven't really heard much from him. But Dana said he's ready to fight. Uh, I mean, he's got to he's got to get out there and fight. I mean, we're we're talking about Birds and Masvidal fighting. We got Usman and uh, Leon fighting for the title, and then there's just Kobe holding that holding that spot um, without fighting anyone. So. Uh, I would love to see Bilal or Shavkat fight Kobe, and then if that if neither of those fights materialize, then let's go ahead and see Bilal and Shavkat. But I think in terms of the odds of what fight is really going to happen, it's probably going to be Shavkat and Bilal. <laughs> I would love to see that fight. I think it would be an awesome fight. Um, from a matchmaking standpoint, it makes a ton of sense. There, there are some rumors out there that the UFC is waiting to see what happens with Leon Usman to to do something with Colby because if Leon were to win and remain the champion, then some people project that Colby gets the next title shot. You know, I really didn't think about that because like, I have feelings about the fight that, that I, that I have about the Leon and uh, Usman fight, but I didn't think about 
the Leon side of things and like what happens where he to win. Yeah. Um, that makes a ton, that actually makes a ton of sense because Kobe does have the win against Masvidal. I just don't like that the guy hasn't fought in a year. You understand that it's you know the whole Masvidal court case thing, but um, that makes that actually makes a ton of sense. Like that makes a lot of sense. If if Leon were to beat Usman, um, I mean you got Gilbert who's there and you got Bilal who's there, but Kobe's the biggest name out of all of them, and. That makes for a very interesting style of matchup, uh, Leon and uh, Colby. Colby, I believe, only has one win against the current top 15 of the welterweight division, and that was the Masvidal fight. Yeah, and, and Masvidal is number 11. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't beaten like, a single top 10 welterweight. Like it's, I, I get why they would do it because of the star power that he has and, and the draw that he is, went, love him or hate him. Uh, I get all the reasons that they would maybe give him the title shot for Leon, fresh matchup, all that. Um, I just, you know, from from the from the sporting aspect of it, it's just like what? Like, no, yeah. the guy has one win over a over a ranked welterweight, and we're gonna just keep keeping him at the top of this list because because he fought Usman close. Like, at the end of the day, he did lose twice to. He Usman. did lose. Yes, he lost twice. Like. And I mean that Masvidal fight was what it was, but like you want to like there's so many, there's literally fourteen, probably more matchups out there for Kobe uh, that that are very very interesting. Like Kobe against Wonder Boy, uh, Kobe against Sean Brady, Kobe against uh, Gilbert Burns, Kobe against Bilal Muhammad, Kobe Shavkat. Like there's so many fights out yes. there that we could give Kobe, but he's still just holding on to the spot based off of wins over. Tyron Woodley, who's not in the UFC anymore. Yeah. Uh, Damian Maya, who's not in the UFC anymore. Um, and then number eleven, Masvidal, just because he he had successful pay per views and two really good fights against Usman. Uh, we're gonna have to move on from that. Colby's gonna have to do more. Yeah, I I would not be in favor of a Leon Colby title matchup. Um, but yeah, I think that's that. It makes sense. Like when I heard that, it made sense as to why there hasn't been a matchup made. And, and then if Usman wins then, you know, it probably becomes a prove it for him. And Colby's going to then have to fight a, you know, Shavkat or Bilal or somebody. But he's he's got to be down on his knees praying that Leon Edwards wins that fight uh, coming up very, very shortly. But yeah, I, I, in terms of the matchmaking, I, I love I love Shavkat basically against anybody currently in the top five. Uh, the Jeff Neal side of things, he missed miss weight by five pounds. Um, you know, then he get he great fight, fight of the night. That fight was awesome. That's probably a fight of the year candidate, I would assume, at this point at least. What's next for Jeff Neal? Um, I think you still give him an, a a ranked guy. Obviously, I mean, he's not gonna just completely fall out of the rankings. Um, I don't know if this guy has a fight, but I think both guys are coming off losses against uh high um, ranked guys. Uh, what about Jeff Neal and uh, Sean Brady? I, I like it. That was uh, that was one that I was going to throw out there. Um, Jeff Brady has no. He had a fight against Michelle Pereira scheduled for March that has been canceled because of a Brady groin injury. So um, I don't know if they will rebook that one or not, but I, lo- I like that fight. It makes a ton of sense. I'll throw one more out there. If Jeff Neal is cool with fighting some of the up-and-comers that maybe are ranked a little bit lower, how about a Jeff Neal-Jack Della Maddalena matchup? That screams fight of the night or fight of the year type of matchup. That would be an absolute slugfest. 
I think you can make that a fight night main event, five rounds. Uh, whoever wins uh, hold is in the top ten. Uh, maybe if it for for Jack, maybe you can even get him higher uh, off a win over Jeff Neal. But yeah, I think that ma- that makes a ton of sense. And I think especially for a guy like Jeff Neal, you want to fight a guy like Jack Madalena, someone who's got the the hype around him. Uh, if you stop that hype train, yeah. uh, you, you're right back in, in the mix of things. So, yeah, I like that fight for both guys. And stylistically, right? I mean, that's right in the wheelhouse of both guys. It's like, you know, who's better? Like, this is your wheelhouse. Show us who's better. I, I think both guys would. Again, it's just a matter of if Jeff Neal would want to fight that far down the rankings. He's eight. Jack Della Maddalena is 14. But stylistically, it makes a ton of sense. That would be a ton of fun. All right, to the lightweight division, Will, we had a fight that I think we were both really excited about. Uh, Matosh Gamrot and Jalen Turner. This was a fun matchup. I thought it was a fun fight. I thought it was a really difficult fight to score. Uh, depending on on like how you weight what you watched uh, within those rounds, Like I, I kind of walked away from all three of those rounds feeling like Jalen Turner did a little bit more damage at the end of each round than Matosh Gamrot did. Uh, I, can, I can totally understand scoring it the other way just because of the way those those rounds went um i i text you at the end of that like before they read the scorecards i was like i i could see a judge going 30 27 turner and i could see another judge going 30 27 gamrot i thought it was that much in play as far as the extremes yeah that fight was was really close um very very high level mma that we saw on display uh w- from those guys uh i had it 29 28 for gamrot i had um even though I was really conflicted on round one, I kind of gave the edge to Gamrot. I gave, I was sure about round two. I, I gave round two to Gamrot, and then I gave uh, round three to Turner. Um, but like you said, I don't think there's any wrong scorecard because, like, if you're judging by damage, you can go Turner. If you're judging by control and grappling, you can go, um, you can go Gamrot. I, I think that both guys had um, enough time of of damage or or control that you could give it to either guy. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was just high level, uh, high level MMA. I, I mean, props to Gamera for taking that fight on short notice against a guy ranked under him uh, and going out there and getting and getting the win. It was very close. Uh, Jalen Turner, I don't think he loses any stock for me. Uh, I think Gamera is a very high level guy, but uh, Jalen Turner definitely showed that he's capable of hanging with the top ten guys in, in this division. So uh, both guys don't lose any stock. It was a fantastic fight. I think this sets up for Jalen Turner to still loop back around and take the Dan Hooker fight uh, in terms yeah. of losing to Gamrot. You look at the rankings and, and what makes sense. Like, let's let's go back to the original matchup that I also think is great with Dan Hooker. Uh, I would still love to see that. Gamrot, to me, is kind of in no man's land as far as that lightweight division. That top 15 is just stacked full of killers, but he's he's not quite on the level of the guys above him. And the guy immediately below him, Sarukian, he beat, what, a year ago, a year plus? Uh, and then he just beat Jalen Turner, who's a couple spots below him, and it kind of feels like he's probably separated from the rest of that top 15. So he's kind of just right in the middle in in no man's land of that lightweight division. Yeah, it's a, it's an awful spot to be in. Um, if I were him, I'd probably call out uh, an RDA. I don't really know why RDA is still ranked in lightweight because he's made it clear he doesn't want to be in lightweight. But um, yeah, the guys ranked ahead of him, he just is. A, it just seems like he's just a little level off from them and then the people ranked below him he's obviously uh better than or he's proven them to be better than i don't know what to do with gamrod it's a very interesting situation that he's in uh if i if i'm him i'm obviously trying to uh call out all the guys ranked ahead of me but yeah it, it, it's not I, he's not going to be successful in getting any of those matchups um 
I will say Dustin Poirier doesn't have anything lined up, but is he going to fight him a, a, a Gamrot? Poirier's no. not taking so, that fight. Yeah, right. So I mean, if, if I, I don't know what Gamrot does, I think he. I think at this point he has to take a fight against someone ranked below him, uh, whether it is Dan Hooker or uh, Moicano. Uh, he's to in order to just keep his name out there and stay relevant. He's going to have to keep uh, taking fights against people ranked below him. Moicano's the name I was going to throw out. I mean, like, again, he may not want to fight down, but Fazeev is about to fight Gaethje. Chandler's got Connor. Oliveira and Dariush are fighting. Plus, he's already lost to Dariush anyway. Dustin Poirier's not taking that fight. Like, Dustin doesn't want that <laughs> stylistic matchup anyway. And Dustin probably, do- like, wants a, a more high-profile name on the marquee uh, than Gamera. I just, I just don't see Poirier taking that fight. So, if you start looking the other way... I, I, the Moicano matchup to me is probably about the best fight you can make within that top 15 for Gamrot. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, Gamrot gained a lot of fans with his, with his last performance. Uh, I think that's a fight that would excite the fans. It would excite um, it would excite everybody. You know what you're going to see. Gamrot's always in fun fights. No matter, what it, no matter if it's grappling or if it's striking, he's always in fun fights. And Moicano's really starting to come into his own, so... Yeah, I think that's the matchup that you make. Um, Gamrod's going to get to a point where he's where he's going to realize none of these guys ranked above me is, is going to take the fight against me. So I'm going to have to go below me, and it looks like Moicano's the, the perfect matchup for him. All right, let's go to the feature prelim. Uh, former champion Cody Garbrandt back in the bantamweight division. He gets the unanimous decision over Trevin Jones. Uh, Cody looked great in the first two rounds, Will. Looked quick, looked confident. Uh, I, I liked everything we saw from Cody. Obviously, you understand the third round and, and him maybe taking his foot off the gas a little bit. Um, this was such a frustrating fight for me to watch because, like, Trevin Jones didn't fight. Like, what are you doing? Like, it, it was so weird to watch him have this opportunity against a guy like Cody Garbrandt, who everybody questions his chin. Trevin Jones' path to victory is landing the big shot, and it just seemed like he was almost, like, so persistent to just wait on the perfect opportunity that he didn't allow himself to just fight and have those chances to just land strikes in general. Uh, it was a very frustrating fight for me to watch, but I was, I was glad to see Cody Garbrandt look as, as quick and sharp as he did. Yeah. I mean, it was a performance that Cody Garbrandt desperately needed. Uh, he fought very smart and that's something that we haven't been able to say about Cody in, in throughout uh, his last few fights. He fought very strategic uh, he came out with the using that body kick, um, and then right when uh, the second round started, after the first round, he completely dominated. Not dominated, but he clearly won the first round just using the body kick and being very fast. Um, Trevor Jones tried to open up, and Cody just uh, took him down with very great timing. It was a beautiful takedown from Cody, um, and that's something that I said before the fight. Like Cody needs to use his wrestling. He's a he's a pretty solid wrestler. Um, Trevin Jones, yeah, like you said. He just was kind of just seemed like he was waiting for Cody to to make a mistake, and Cody was just so locked in on his P's and Q's and everything that Cody wasn't going to make a mistake. Yeah. Um. The third round kind of got a little dicey towards the end, but um, Trevor Jones, I think he gave that. I think he gave that away. I think he could have potentially forced Cody into into making a mistake if he would have actually been active, but he yeah. just wasn't. So uh, Cody was able to uh, really get comfortable, and you know, you saw him doing his little old antics of dancing and all that stuff. Once Cody was doing all that, I mean, you can yeah. see like he he knew that uh, Trevor Jones had nothing for him. So uh, great performance from Cody. But Trevor Jones, that was a lost opportunity for him. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, he he allowed Cody to be comfortable and Cody wasn't going to make, make a mistake being comfortable. Like 
I, I think his mindset was, I need to land the big shot and wait for that opportunity. But when Cody's that comfortable, I don't know that that opportunity presents itself. You need to make him uncomfortable so that that door does open. And uh, yeah, it was it was incredibly frustrating. And like even the broadcast is like, you know, Saif is is pleading. I think is what they were the word they were using on the broadcast, pleading with Trevin Jones to do anything. Like, <laughs> come on, man, you have this opportunity against a former world champion that doesn't that doesn't knock on your door every day. Like, you know, had, had Trevin Jones earned a matchup with Cody Garbrandt? No, this was a short notice fight where all of a sudden, like you have this path to, to really elevate your, your, your path in the UFC. And uh, you know, anytime that happens and, and you see it go that direction to me, it's just very disappointing that, that like, if you, if you, if you go after it and you fail fine, but to, to not even really chase it to me is like, Oh, it's so, it's so frustrating to see from a sporting standpoint. Yeah, so. like what? What does he have to lose? Right. Like this is—he had everything to gain. Cody had everything to lose, and Trevin should have went out there and, and and fought that way. So what if he gets knocked out in front of uh, all these people who are coming to, to watch John Jones card and all the people watching at home? Like this is a like everybody knows who Cody Garbrandt is. You go right. out there, you you have fun, you fight free, and you let the cards fall where they may. But just to go out there, uh, he's going to regret that for, for the rest of his career because he's always going to think like, man, what if I just did yeah. this? What if I just tried this? Uh, so yeah, it was a lost opportunity. I mean, because it's a short notice fight, fight that he took. He had lost three in a row before this. So this, like, all the stars are aligning for Trevor Jones at this yep. point to have a big moment, and he just dropped the ball, man. Yep. Yeah, super disappointing. All right, let's talk about uh, somebody who is quickly becoming one of my favorite fighters in the UFC. Or actually, I failed to, to Cody Garbrandt. What's next for Cody in the bantamweight division? Um, do you put him? back against a top 15 caliber fighter do you keep him maybe at this lower level for a period of time and build his confidence back how do they handle cody garbrandt i mean his his star power would suggest you put him against a, a ranked guy and uh see what see where he goes from there but i wouldn't do that i would put him up against uh one of these guys who he was supposed to fight i think he was supposed to fight uh douglas silva deandrage and he was supposed to fight ronnie yaya Put him up against one of those two guys, but don't put him up against uh, a top 15 guy yet. Uh, let him build his confidence back up because let's call it what it is. It was a it was a good win, but it was a guy who's who took that fight on short notice and who had lost three in a row. So I think you tread lightly with Cody Garbrandt. Uh, I think there's there's cause to be um, encouraged by what you saw, yeah. but let's 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 keep it slow. Uh, he's still young. You told me the other day he's uh, well, how old is he? Thirty one. 31 like i can yeah. understand if he was like 36 maybe you uh, you speed it up a little bit but the guy's 31 he's got time so uh yes build him up slow yeah all right now to what i was going to say uh let's talk about somebody who's quickly becoming one of my favorite fighters to watch in the ufc and look i, I he was already on my radar going back to his ufc debut on fight island i can't remember what card it was but uh Drickus du plessis well this dude has as much heart as anybody in the UFC. Every time he's in the octagon, he literally empties the gas tank to the point that you think he has nothing left and somehow finds a way to still dig deeper than the other guy and continue going forward and find a way to win. I absolutely love watching Drickus Duplessis in the octagon. He gets a big win over Derek Brunson, overcomes adversity, and the way that he closed that second round as he's delivering those, those final blows over Brunson, Brunson's corners throwing the towel in, I mean, my gosh, what can you say about a guy that literally leaves it all in the octagon every time he's out there? He wants it. I mean, that's basically yeah. all, all yeah. you can say about him. The guy wants it. Um, he sees the opportunity that, that's there. Um, he's, 
He's he was ranked ten, I think, before this fight, and Derek Brunson was ranked in the top five still at the time. So I mean, you could you could you could just see the opportunity there for Drakus, and he you know fighting Darren Till in his last one, you saw like he battled some adversity in that one too. You kind of felt like he blew his wide in the first round, just like he did in this one. But he just always finds that second gear, or like he tells himself like, okay, I, I'm you gassed out right going, now, yeah. but I just got to keep going. And then um, Derek Brunson. When he goes on E, it just seems like the <laughs> the world just kind of falls completely apart. I mean, against Cannoneer, he ha- he was fighting really well, but once once his gas tank was empty, I mean, it it, it just was all over. Um, and you can see it like the explosion wasn't there anymore for Brunson. Uh, the the shots became wild, and uh, yeah, Drickus just had more in the gas tank, and Brunson at forty years old at this point. Uh, we're starting to see just the same thing over and over. Just whenever the gas tank empties, I mean, the guy just completely loses everything. So, uh, but it was just a phenomenal performance from from yeah. Duplessis. I just wonder as he fights, you know, he, his next his next fight's going to be against one of these top guys, most likely. If he once he gets tired like that, is that going to cost him in his next fight? That I think that's a big question. But I think the the potential is definitely there. The guy is a special talent. Yeah, it's kind of it's one of those things where like if if he does that against you know these high level guys, is he going to get finished? Uh, you know, once he gasses himself out, or I think you know this is part of I think why this could also be a strength. He starts to exert that much energy, and you also have to exert that much energy to to prevent him from finishing you, right? So, kind of simultaneously, while he's gassing himself, he's gassing you. And I think he's just banking on the fact that he's going to dig deeper than you are when you both have nothing left in the tank. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Uh, that it could be a strength. Uh, it it really actually could. Uh, and it's it's, it's going to be intriguing to see. Yeah. Um, in his next fight, like if it's Cannoneer, for instance, I think that it could wind up being a strength. I think the only guy who you could really just be like, oh. I don't know if that's really going to work is, is, is Whitaker. Cause Whitaker is just, is so great everywhere. But yeah, yeah I, I think there's a lot of cause to be very excited about, um, about Drickus, man. Uh, do you think he's uh, a future champion? I don't know that I'd put him in the future champion category yet. I think that there is the potential for that to happen, but I, I'm not there yet. Are you? No, I have to, I'll probably have to see this next one yeah. uh, um, first, but yeah, I, I think there's cause to be excited about it for sure. Like, I, I still think, like, looking at that middleweight division, there's still a separation for me between, like, uh, Izzy and Whitaker and where Drickus is. Do, I think Drickus is as good as anybody behind those guys. You know, the problem is in that division, you've got two guys right now that aren't champions that are two of the greatest middleweights in the history of the promotion, right? So... Maybe it's maybe it's a little bit unfair because of what division that is. In any other era, you know, Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker are both, and Izzy was a longtime champion. Whitaker is a longtime champion in any other era, you know, at middleweight. Like that's how good he is. So um, I think he's a, maybe a step below those guys. But in terms of him matching up with anybody else, I like his chances. I would love to see a Drickus uh, Paulo Costa fight. That that's the fight. Sign me up for that. I think that's the fight right there that war because we it's a war and out of everyone that that we could see that his his uh gas tank being a strength against paulo costa it seems like he's that guy so yeah 
That would be a war. That would be a very fun fight. I would love to see it. That might be a fight of the year contender if that fight got made. One thousand percent. Who did he call out? Um, did he call out Vittori maybe on uh, on Saturday? He, I... he mentioned someone who he, who he was close to, um, but I forgot who it was. I can't remember who he called out. Vittori's got a fight coming up, right? Yeah, Vittori's fighting Roman Delice right. uh, next next Saturday. Big fight. Um, yeah, I can't how remember about, who he called out. How about Drickus and Roman Delice if, if Delice wins? That'd be interesting. That'd be, that'd be a fun that'd one. Be a, that'd be a good fight, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember who the, what the call-out was. Like, I'm looking at the middleweight division and the rankings to see if anybody's name rings a bell, but I, yeah, I can't remember. Did he call anybody out? I feel uh, he said someone's name. Okay. Uh, and he said, like, even though, like, I love this person or something like that, like, if we ha- if we have to do it, uh, you know, we have to do it in, in order to get closer to the title. Hmm. Okay. I just don't remember. I just don't remember who it was. Yeah, I'm searching now and. Uh, I don't see anything. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, Drickus Duplessis, no longer interested in Paulo Costa, wants number one contender fight or title shot. Okay. So there you go. <laughs> no longer interested in Costa, wants a, a title shot or number one contender fight, so... Now, I think he's eventually going to like have to come back to Paulo Costa. Yeah. Uh, if because like, I mean, maybe it's Cannoneer um, that that uh, he'll end up fighting next. But I think the the, ma- the matchup is just too juicy for the UFC to not at least entertain the thought of Costa and uh, Drickus. That's, That's yeah. That fight's too good. Fight. And I, yeah, I like I I don't want to don't rush him to that stage. Let's see what, what you know where he is after a Paulo Costa fight. Because again, like. It's too cloudy at the top with Izzy, you know, getting another title shot. Robert Whitaker's right there. Um, but yeah, so there you go. I, I would love the Costa fight, though. All right, we had Amanda Hebos with the win over Vivian, uh, Viviane Araujo. This was also a pretty competitive fight um, that, that Hebos, as the fight went on, seemed to just get stronger and stronger. Uh, and she is now, Will, ranked in both the straw and flyweight divisions. She's good, man. Um... I, I thought that Viviani would be able to take her down and control her. I thought her her, her physical strength would probably show itself in this fight, but uh, Amanda Hebos, her speed, and then getting that knockdown in the second round completely changed uh, the entire fight. Um, this I, I'm not gonna say it was a dominant win for uh, for Hebos, but it was a it definitely was a clear victory, uh, and I'm excited to see what's next for her. I think she's all in on um, on this division on this uh, strawweight division. I mean, on this flyweight division, but she also brought up fighting uh, Carla Esparza, which would be a fun matchup. Uh, wherever, wherever the case is with the Hebos, I think she's she's fun to watch, and uh, she's going to deliver every time. So I wouldn't, be, I'd be down to see her at both divisions for sure. Yeah. Um, I'll mention a couple other uh, prelims before we move on to make picks for Saturday night's card. Um, Ian Gary, who obviously is a, a big time prospect and continuing to get better and better and better. Uh, looked phenomenal in the striking. I mean, the the diverse arsenal that he was throwing at Song Kanan was unbelievably impressive. 
just the the different attacks and mixing it up. I, I thought Ian Gary looked sensational, and we saw him face a little adversity. He he was caught with that check hook early in the fight, overcame that, and I mean, really from that point on was nearly a flawless victory. Um, Ian Gary looks as good as he's looked at any point. Seems like he's really putting it together. I'm excited for what's next for Ian Gary. Uh, Cameron Simon was a guy that I was really excited about after he was on Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he looked really good in his UFC debut, and then um, Farid Basharat, the other Basharat brother, also making his UFC debut with a big win over Damone Blackshear. Yeah, so like I said, man, this card from top to bottom was pretty stacked and it delivered all the way around. Um, I think Ian Gary, man, uh, that first that first round where he caught that shot, uh, I was pretty surprised because you don't really you haven't seen Ian Gary take a shot like that, and it seemed like the first one he took he he, he dropped. But uh, I think he ended that fight in such a dominant way, uh, getting the finish in the way that he did. Um, I'm still very high on Ian Gary. I don't know what his ceiling is, but uh, he seems to be a very solid guy. I still think you you build him up slowly, um, but he's got potential for sure. Is he? You think he's close to a ranked opponent or a few fights away? I still think he's. I think he's a few away from uh, from a ranked guy. Um, I, but I would give him uh, more of a name like uh, Kenan Song. You know, I don't really. I didn't really know much about him. I would try to give him uh, a name that people know, uh, a name that that gets people like, oh, that's interesting. Ian Gary's fighting X, X. So you know, whoever that whoever that guy is. Um, but yeah, I, I would give Ian Gary a name for sure. Uh, just just kind of looking through some some middleweights. Um, Chaos Williams, Max Payne, Griffin, Philip Rowe, uh, Jake Matthews, Jeremiah Wells, Nico Price, uh, Tim Means, Nicholas Dalby. Any of those make sense to you? Uh, I wasn't uh, a fan of most of those, but uh, maybe Dobby. Um, maybe Dobby is a good name. Uh, I remember. I remember one name who I said like a while ago that may be a good matchup for Ian Gary. He's another young guy, and I think he got knocked out by Chaos Williams. But but I just Miguel Baeza. Remember him? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how many people really know him, but I think that would be a very. Fun I like fight. that fight. Yeah. Let's see. If not, if not him, I, I like, I like the Dolby matchup. Baeza was an undefeated prospect before losing three straight to Ponzinibbio, Chaos, and Andre Fialho. Uh, looks like he had a fight scheduled in September of last year, and a Baeza injury canceled that fight and there's not been anything since so i don't know if that was a long-term deal i never heard anything about his injury so i don't know if that was a long-term deal or what his situation is i like that fight though that would be a really good fight and stylistically pleasing to the majority of the fan fan base yeah especially after uh, ian gary got dropped like that Baez is a very talented yeah. striker that could uh set gary down so yeah that's, that's a very fun one all right let's uh let's move ahead to ufc fight night jan Dvalishvili. On Saturday night, uh, death taxes and bantamweights, right? And the bantamweights are on display in the main event. But the main card starts in the light heavyweight division. We have Vitor Petrino making his UFC debut off the Contender Series. And Anton Turkali, who is also a Contender Series guy from a year ago, but already has one fight inside the UFC octagon under his belt. Oddshark.com has... Turkali at minus 113, minus 107 for Petrino. 
this is very interesting fight to uh, to open the card. I think the uh, UFC is very high on both these guys. Yep. Uh, for them to be on the main card, uh, this is a pretty a pretty solid fight card. Um, and for them to be opening it up, you could definitely tell that the UFC is high on them and that they're going to come out and uh, put on a show. Uh, what's my pick, man? Um, let me go ahead and take uh, Tricali on this one. I'll take Anton okay. Tricali. This is a fun matchup. Tricali made his UFC debut and, and was given the uh, extreme unpleasure of facing Jelton Almeida in his UFC debut. So he has started 0-1 in the UFC, but, uh, you know, it was Almeida. So I think we can kind of understand that. Uh, I'll take the other side. I'll go Petrino, but I think the odds are where they should be. I think this is as close to a coin flip as possible. All right, fight number two, death taxes and bantamweights, Saeed Nurmagomedov and Jonathan Martinez. This is also great matchmaking and what should be an incredibly fun fight. Minus 242 favorite for Saeed Nurmagomedov, plus 207 for Jonathan Martinez. Man, um, I really liked uh, Jonathan Martinez's last performance. It really showed me the uh, potential of him, the way he was able to take out Cup Swanson. Uh, he's won four in a row. I mean, the guy's legs are, are massive, and he throws all of his leg kicks with so much power. Body kicks, he throws all of his kicks with so much power. But in this matchup with Nurmagomedov, man, I, I just feel like he Nurmagomedov has more ways to win. And if uh, Martinez starts to um, unload on him with kicks or, or whatever the case is, Nurmagomedov might resort to his wrestling. It's not that he doesn't have wrestling. He just uh, uses the striking a little bit more. Um, so... I'm going to go uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov, but um, I think this is probably going to be fight of the night. This will be a, a fantastic fight. I, I'm going Saeed Nurmagomedov as well. Uh, I, I think probably has a quickness advantage in this fight and probably going to be a little bit tougher for Jonathan Martinez to hit, uh, but it should be a ton of fun, and uh, I, I'm with you. I, I, it wouldn't shock me at all if this were fight of the night uh, by the end of it, and I will probably be tweeting at the end of this fight, death taxes and bantamweights. To the featherweight division, we have Ricardo Ramos and Austin Lingo. Oddshark.com has Ramos as the minus 350 favorite, plus 285 for Lingo. Yeah, I think it's uh, Ricardo Ramos here. I, I'm, I, you know, Austin Lingo, I'm not going to say he's, he's, he's bad or anything. He's got a good record, uh, but he's just so new. And, you know, we, I've seen more out of uh, Ricardo uh, Ramos than I've seen from Lingo uh, in situations like this. So um, I'll go ahead and take uh, Ricardo Hamas. I think this fight does have potential to be uh, a pretty solid fight, but um, yeah, give me Hamas, man. I've just seen more from him. Same experience plays into this for me, uh, for Ricardo. And I, I think I've just seen him fight higher level guys, I guess, overall. So same for me on fight number three of the main card. All right, to a catchweight Matchup between what was supposed to be our main event a couple weeks ago. We have Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spann fighting at 215. Oddshark.com has Nikita Krylov as the minus 166 favorite, plus 146 for Superman Spann. Man, um, I was uh, when they were supposed to when they were supposed to fight uh, a few weeks ago. I had Spann. And I'm going to stick with him. Uh, I think Krylov pulling out of that fight with whatever happened, um, I, I'm just going to go with with Span. Uh, I think he's just at a, a a higher spot in his career right now. I think the momentum is there. I think uh, the power is in his advantage. Um, 
I, I think he's a tank of a, of a man, and Krelov is going to have trouble really trying to dictate where this fight goes. I think if Span makes a mistake, Krelov can, could uh, get him down and uh, could bank some rounds that way. But uh, with the way Ryan Span was able to chase that knockout of Reyes, I kind of like yep. um, Span's side of things in this fight. So give me uh, Ryan Span. Make it four for four on the same side of things. It's Ryan Spann for me. I would have picked Ryan Spann in the last one as well. Um, I, you know, Krelov is probably the more well-rounded guy here. He's probably the more experienced guy. I think Ryan Spann is just at a point where he's really putting it all together now, and we're starting to really see what he's fully capable of. You know, his last four wins, he had the knockout of Reyes. He had um, the guillotine choke over Kudalaba. He had ground and pound over Misha Surkinov. So he's, he's showing... Uh, more of a well-rounded game. Like I said, he's putting it all together. I think the size is going to be an issue. Um, I, I think just in terms of the athlete that he is, that's going to be an issue. Um, I like that he's kind of starting to reach his apex uh, at this point in time. So I, I just think at this point, Ryan Spann's the better guy, and I think he's just getting better and better. So Ryan Spann for me in this matchup at uh, at 215 catch weight for what was supposed to be our main event a couple weeks ago. All right, our co-main event takes us to the heavyweight division. We have Alexander Volkov and Alexander Romanov. Oddshark.com has Romanov as the minus 154 favorite, plus 134 for Volkov. This fight is very, very interesting, man, uh, because Volkov has been there, done that, with the best of the best in the heavyweight division, and uh, Romanov is a pretty solid prospect. I think the hype around him got very much derailed in his last fight against uh, Tybura, but we both felt that that matchup was probably the worst one out of any of the prospects that uh, Romanov could face. And Romanov uh, fought well at first, but I just think he took his foot off the, off the gas. He may have, he may have been gassed out and uh, let Tybura steal some rounds. Um, I, I still kind of like Romanov. I, I think that um, he'll be able to get this fight to the ground. Uh, even though Volkov is is tall, you know it it depends on what Volkov we see because Volkov at his best like in fights against Overeem or Jarzino Rosenstrike, I mean the guy looks like uh like he could be a, a champion, but then there's fights where he'll fight you know uh, Curtis Blades or Shreel Ghani, and he just kind of drops the ball. Uh, I don't really know how to how to gauge a, a Volkov at this point. I guess a guy like Romanov who can control him like this. Does he open up or does he kind of stay labored back? But um, I think Romanov is coming to uh, right that wrong of his last fight. He, he'll see the uh, potential of a uh, of what this fight could mean for his career. So give me a Romanov. All right, I like it. First one we are on the opposite side of. Um, I'm gonna go Volkov. I just think that he's he's fought guys like this where he desperately has to use his distance management, his length. Uh, and if, if Romanov, you know, comes in too much, I, I think you could see him just take a, a massive shot in this fight and, and be in a lot of trouble. Um, but I think there is something to be said for where Volkov is at this stage of his career. Um, you know, how, how hungry is he still uh, in a matchup like this? And if, if he is not razor sharp, then, you know, if, if Romanov gets his hands on him, then uh, that's probably it. But I'll take Volkov in the matchup. I think the experience and just how many times we've seen him in fights, um, you know, have to use the length and the distance management to keep somebody like this away from him will pay dividends. So I'll go Volkov in the co-main event on Saturday night, which takes us to the bantamweight division. Once again, we have former bantamweight champion Peter Jan and best friend of current champion Marab Devalishvili. 
Oddshark.com has Peter Yawn as the minus 170 favorite, plus 145 for Marab. Man, um, I think that um, Peter Yawn is really, really good. I think um, you, you can make a case that he really is not on a two-fight losing streak. Um, you can make a case that he shouldn't have lost any of his last three fights. Um, he beat. You can make a case he should have beat Sterling in the first fight. He should have beat Sterling in the second fight, and he should have beat O'Malley. He sh- you can make a case he still should be the, the bantamweight champion of the world. But um, he's he's fallen on some tough times. Um, I don't know, man. This is this fight's pretty tough to judge because Jan is is so good with his stand up. He's so good with his fight IQ. Uh, he builds over time. But I think you can take. Um, you can take some things from that second Sterling fight with how Sterling was able to control him, how he was able to get him down. Uh, I just wonder how much Jan is going to be able to um, be himself when he, when Marab is going to be constantly shooting at his legs, uh, trying to get this fight to the ground. And Marab's the type of guy that's going to just continue to do it. Like we saw with Aldo, like he wasn't getting the takedown every time, but he was relentless in his pursuit of the takedown. I don't think that uh, Peter Jan's, Take down defense is as good as all those. And uh, I think at some point, Marab is going to be able to get him down and probably control him. Um, the thing also is uh, the fact that he's training with Sterling and Sterling knows Jan so well. I think that only works in Marab's favor. So, um, And if, if Jan goes into this thinking that Sterling and Marab are the same, he's very, very sadly mistaken because those are two completely different fighters. Uh, they just train out of the same camp. So I'm going to go Marab. I kind of like him here. Um, tough matchup for, for Peter Yan to look good in. Uh, but yeah, give me uh, Marab in this one. If this were a three-round fight, I think I would probably take Marab. In a five-round fight, I- I'm going to go Peter Yan, uh, which sounds crazy because Marab's gas tank suggests that he would probably be better in a five-round fight. I just think in terms of the the damage that can build up over the course of five rounds, that's more noticeable in a longer fight. Uh, which I think at the end of this, what's going to happen is it's going to be a very close fight. And I think whichever way this goes, this time next week, we're going to be talking about whether you score damage more significantly or takedowns and ground control more significantly. Because I think all these rounds are going to be close and there's going to be rounds where Jan is hitting Marab and there's going to be rounds where Marab is getting Jan to the ground and and controlling him. And it's just going to be what do you value more in those scenarios and, and, you know, how do they weigh against each other throughout the course of this fight? Um, I will say at the end of the day, it's going to be Jan for me um, by decision, just doing a little bit more in terms of damage. Uh, but I think that that Marab is going to certainly get takedowns and, and certainly win some rounds. Uh, I think it's going to be a very close fight, and it wouldn't shock me at all if this is somewhat controversial by the end either way. Uh, but give me Pewter Jan by decision over Marab Valishvili. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that with that breakdown, man. I, I definitely think that um, there there's going to be rounds where both guys uh, look good in, but is, are you going to score damage or are you going to score um, are you going to score control? I, yeah. I think it's uh, the judging criteria, and we're going to have arguments about it and all that stuff. But um, I think it's going to be one of those one of those fights where both guys could could you could look at that fight and be like, oh. Uh, Marab one or Peter Young one yeah. so yeah it'll be close it'll it'll be controversial I, I could definitely see that yeah I think it'll be a good fight it'll be a competitive fight if nothing else 
All right, so uh, we are on the opposite sides of the main and co-main events for Saturday night's fight card featuring the Bantamweights in your main event. Uh, I'm I'm excited for this one, man. Like, I, I think this is a sneaky good card, especially in the wake of, of the monster that was UFC 285. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, coming off of uh, that card uh, to, to, to this Peter Yan and Marab uh, fight card, I mean, I think it just goes to show that the UFC is really coming coming with it uh, for this month of March. Um, and then after this one, we got the beast that is UFC 286. So uh, the UFC is really coming with it, man. This is one of the better fight nights that we've seen. And I'm glad that they're out of the apex. I think they really do it big in terms of fight nights uh, when they're out of the apex. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for it, man. Should be fun. Uh, Will, I know you're still basking in the glory that is John Jones as the heavyweight champion. It was fun to break it down, and we will do it again next week. All right, brother. Have a good one.